Praise the Lord. Thanks for being here today. I have a sermon for you today. It's going to be a powerful sermon uh, about a subject that will be challenging. So metaphorically, if you see a seatbelt next to you, lift it up, put it on, because we're going to talk about the theme, the topic of repentance. And repentance is one of, if not the very first thing we need to do into ushering in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's work begins with repentance. And I'll talk about that today. But we are in a series on the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. So I'll give you a second to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah. These Bibles, it's on page 333. If you're going to look it up on your phones, that's great as well. Turn to Nehemiah. We'll have it on the screens. And I want you to to spend an extra time getting to the text because we're going to read the whole first chapter. Last week, we started the series of Nehemiah and gave you some pieces of background. Today, we're going to specifically look at this prayer that Nehemiah begins the book with, and it is a prayer of repentance. So Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, if you would, would you stand with me and read along? It says the words of Nehemiah, son of Hilkiah in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa. So this is, uh, if you're you're wondering, what is the citadel of Susa? It is the fortress of the king. He is in the king's palace. At the end of this chapter, he says that he's a cupbearer to the king, and he's going to ask for the Lord's help to have a conversation with the king. But this is all uh, preceding what's going to happen then. I'm in, uh, let's see, verse 2, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. He's about to give Nehemiah some very sad news. Verse 3, they said to me, those who had survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, Nehemiah says, I sat down And I wept for some days. I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. This was last week's passage. And let us now continue. This is the prayer. Pay specific attention to when Nehemiah repents and what he repents for. Verse five. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and his commandments and keep his commandments. Verse six, let your ear be attentive to the eye and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Here it is. Mark this in your mind. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's exactly what happened. This is the exilic period of Israel's history. That is why Nehemiah is in Susa. That is like 700 miles from Jerusalem. It's in the modern day Iran. And, and, And it goes on to say, but if you return, to me, he's, he's speaking to the Lord saying, Lord, remember you said this, if you return to me and obey my commandments, then even if you are exiled people or at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. 
Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed uh, by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's gonna talk about the king because it concludes with, I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Christ is in our midst. Let's pray. God, as we stand here today, would you open our hearts, open our minds to this topic of repentance. And Lord, that we might come before you, we might come before um, different people that we have relationships with, and Lord, we would, we would repent, we would confess our sins, we would make right, Lord, because you are ultimately the one who makes right. Lord, we have a cross at the center of this room because it's, it's there that you died for our sins. You, you make us whiter than snow, you wash us, you redeem us, and it's with joy that we can pray and it's with joy that we could talk about the subject of repentance because we, Lord, we know you are a loving, forgiving God. So Lord, we worship you, we praise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and all God's people shouted, amen. Amen, amen. you may be seated. The sermon title, some of you like to take notes and write down titles. The title for this sermon, it's a quote from the New Testament. We're going to use it today as we talk about Nehemiah and what he's doing in this book. The title is Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'll talk about why I chose that as the sermon title, even though it's from the New Testament. I think this is what Nehemiah is doing in the book of Nehemiah. But first, let's overview what we're going to do today in this sermon. We're going to do a quick review of Nehemiah, especially if for some of you that missed last week, we'll, we'll kind of review what Nehemiah is all about. Then we'll talk about repentance. We will define repentance, and then we will look at what Nehemiah prays. And, and some of you might have been thrown off as we read this prayer, because Nehemiah prays for his people group. He prays for people that committed a sin and led the people into exile and they were punished about a hundred or so years before Nehemiah was even born. And so he's repenting on the behalf of someone else. We'll talk about what that is. It's called intercession, by the way. And finally, in this sermon, we will talk about how repentance prepares the kingdom of God to come. So first, let's review. The book of Nehemiah, it's right in the middle of the Old Testament. In fact, that's a good way to find it if you're wondering how to find the book of Nehemiah. If you found it today in an actual paper Bible, raise your hand. Good job. Look at all these hands. Look at these people. Say, good job, good job. They found it. A good way to find it is in the middle. You get to the Old Testament and you open right into the middle of the Old Testament. And like nine times out of 10 for me, at least, it's right in the book of Nehemiah, even though it's a small book. And though it falls in the middle of the Old Testament, it's actually chronologically at the very end of the Old Testament. And it's the period of time called the exilic period of time where the people were warned. Israel was warned. They were all in Israel, the capital Jerusalem, there's the north and the south, and they were warring against each other. They were turning away from God. And God told them through different prophets, turn back to me or else I am going to allow some horrible things to happen. And this will ultimately lead you back to me. But if you repent now, this won't have to happen. And the people did not repent. They turned further and further away 
from God. And so God allowed Babylonians, Assyrians, the Persians to exile them out of Israel and into foreign lands. And so that's how Nehemiah ends up at the citadel of Susa. He hears back word from Jerusalem. I joked last week in saying that his brother uh, Hananiah and these guys must have been on like a 10-day bus tour of Israel. And they report back uh, to Nehemiah in the citadel of Susa and they give him very bad news that the city is broken down. The walls are a disaster and things are not going well. Nehemiah sits and he weeps and he begins to come up with this plan of how he's going to go back and lead the people to rebuild the wall. But first, the first thing he does, and we just read it, is he repents. And I might argue that if you look at the book of Nehemiah, yes, he's the one that rebuilds the walls. But other prophets, like Zechariah said, the city doesn't even need a wall. God's kingdoms don't need wall. Really what Nehemiah, in my uh, opinion of what he does, the most important thing he does is that he first repents and he brings, brings the people to repent, repentance. And that is what ushers in the kingdom of God. And we'll talk more about that today as we go through this sermon. But the book of Nehemiah is a very important book to New Life Church. You see, uh, the senior pastor over all the congregations, if you're unaware of this, New Life Manitou, where you're sitting right now, or if you're watching online, New Life Manitou is one of eight congregations of New Life Church in the Pikes Peak region. And we have a senior pastor over all the congregations. His name is Brady Boyd. And this very day is a very special day because this day is, marks the 15th year that Brady Boyd has been our pastor which is wonderful because like I was there when he came in. I was, I was there when the, the former pastor of, of New Life Church, the founder, we won't get into those details, but he, uh, there was a scandal and the, the, the church was rocked. I was there through those very hard, very horrible days. And Brady Boyd came into the picture uh, a little while after that. You see, he was from Dallas, Texas, uh, or I guess he's from, he's from Louisiana, was in Dallas, Texas, uh, at Gateway Church, and he had a newspaper because 17 years ago, people actually had newspapers, like paper newspapers. That, uh, could you imagine a world with newspapers? Um, but he was reading the newspaper, and the story of our church made national news. And he never heard of New Life Church. He probably couldn't have uh, picked Colorado Springs on a map of Colorado, but he saw this story of New Life Church, and he began to weep. And he says, it's, it's somewhat like, you know, what happens in Nehemiah. Here's this very bad news and something cuts into his heart and awakens him for this calling. And so Brady Boyd, 17 years ago, reads the story about New Life Church and the scandal that happened 17 years ago. And he just starts weeping. Six months later, he would be a candidate to be the pastor at New Life Church. He'd be spending the weekend here in Colorado Springs. He said he was up at a hotel, the Hilton Express up by New Life North. And the Lord woke him up one morning and he read the entire book, 13 chapters of Nehemiah. And he felt like the Lord was calling him to New Life Church as Nehemiah was called to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Brady Boyd was being called to New Life Church to rebuild from the rubble that really was this church, New Life. It was, it was, it was a horrible uh, scandal and it was a place where, where, where New Life, there was just suffering and there was shame and there was embarrassment and New Life was being, Brady Boyd was being called to New Life and he's been the pastor here. Today marks 15 years. And so that's kind of a little recap today 
of the book of Nehemiah. And so that's all been um, introductory material. Let's now get into the sermon. Today's sermon title is once again, Repent for the Kingdom of God is at Hand. Repent for the Kingdom of God is at Hand. Who said this? Who made that phrase popular? Anybody know? John the Baptist. Good job. John the Baptist. Good job. He made this saying very popular as he prepared the way for Jesus. Matthew 3, 1, in those days, it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this was John's way of saying, the Messiah has come. Jesus, God himself, as one of us, has come, and we need to prepare for him. We need to prepare our hearts, and how we do that is to... Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And not only John the Baptist uh, is the first one to say this phrase, but then Jesus picks it up. Matthew 4, verse 17, the next chapter says, for from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This began the movement. It's like, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you first need to repent. And this is exactly what Nehemiah does. He begins the journey of what he's going to accomplish by rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem by first of all, repenting. And I am an expert in getting people to repent. And you might be going, what he's giggling because you're like, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. I have four boys. I'm a dad of four boys. And now the rest of you are laughing because you know probably what that means. What it means is that hourly, at our house, there is violence, there is punching, there is hitting, there is name calling. And, and as a dad, like if I'm joking about it and at least kind of being jovial, but if I'm getting vulnerable with you, I would say that there has been tears. Like my wife and I, like this is hard. Like people say parenting's the hardest job. And then you're like, oh, I don't know if it's that hard. Then you have days like I have had this past week where the boys just continually, like they're fighting amongst each other. It always starts with like somebody teasing somebody and then they get teased so they tease back. And it's like, oh, he just teased me. So I'm gonna punch him. And it's like, I just got punched. So I'm going to punch him. And then it's like a full on, like this is an hourly thing. I was thinking about this sermon on my way here and I don't drive very far. My house, I probably three minutes on a bike is how far I live away. And in that time, in the, in the vehicle ride over here, there was two fights and two times I had to lead my sons in repenting. And this is, I mean, this is real life for me repenting and getting people to repent. And it usually looks like this. Like, did you hit your brother? Yes. Did you get hit by your brother? Yes. Okay, you need to say you're sorry. And it looks something like this. Sorry. <laughs> and like, no, 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 no. That doesn't count. Why doesn't it count? I said sorry. Well, because repenting actually has to involve feeling regret, regret. And it actually has to involve some actions that mean you're going to change, right? This is the definition. If you're writing down definitions, this isn't really a spiritual definition. This is just literally a, a, a dictionary definition. Repentance is feeling regret for past wrongs, which is accompanied by actions that show a change. I'll say it again. Repentance is a feeling for regret for past wrongs, which is accompanied by actions that show a change. So d does saying you're sorry, and we've really found that that does do a lot 
in our household of four boys and the number of fights that we have. We get each other, like if there has been a wrong, we can't just glance over that or gloss over that. We do have to come to each other and look each other in the eyes and you have to apologize. You have to say what you did wrong. You can't just say sorry or general sorry. You have to say sorry and then what I did and then we have them say, will you forgive me? Yes. And and then there's this moment of some sort of reconciliation and that's, we've seen some some growth from those experiences where boys uh, repent to each other and they make amends. Like this is very important in life, in our household, in our culture. Maybe just, let me just back up and say our our world, like it's a hard thing to do to repent, right? Some of you would say, yeah, it is. It's not easy. It takes work to repent and to take responsibility for something you've done. And I'm gonna argue that it's, it's actually become very hard in our society, in our American society. We don't wanna admit we were wrong. We wanna be right. We wanna be rugged, especially like Colorado in the West. We wanna be individualistic. We don't wanna tell anybody sorry because that means we did something wrong. Wrong and we're not wrong because we're Coloradans, right? You don't need to amen, but are you with me? Like, don't, like in our culture, it's not easy to ask for forgiveness. It's not easy to repent. Let me prove this to you a little bit more. Um, legal advice, uh, lawyers will tell you, don't say you're sorry. Don't take responsibility for your action because then you're assuming blame for what you did. Always, like, uh, like lawyer, most lawyers would tell you, like, don't say anything. If a policeman pulls you over and you were doing 60 in like a 20 school zone and the policeman says, do you know why I pulled you over? A lawyer would tell you, don't say anything. Like, don't admit it because maybe he's pulling you over for a broken taillight. And if you admit that you were speeding, well, then he's going to add that to your sentence or add that to your ticket. And so this advice that we get from lawyers or whatever, it might be good advice for like getting out of tickets or lowering your insurance fees or getting out of trouble. But let me tell you, it's really bad. It's really horrible advice for life to never apologize. It's really horrible advice, spiritually speaking, to never admit you're wrong, to never say you're sorry, to never repent. Like this is horrible advice for life. And I think that that kind of advice, the legal advice has permeated itself into our culture and has made it very hard, culturally speaking, to say sorry, to repent in our world. Let me tell you a story. So I, was, uh, I went to high school in Germany because my dad was serving in the armed forces and the air force, which I think my mom and dad are watching online. So thanks dad for serving in the military. And so I uh, went to high school at Ramstein American Air Force Base in Germany. Go Royals. <laughs> Nobody can <is> just... <laughs> um, and the driving age in Germany, anybody know? 18, how'd you know? It's 18. And the driving age is here is what? 16, 13, 12, whatever the kids are driving at these days. I don't know. But in Germany, it was 18. And so like, here's a, here's a, this doesn't really have to do with the sermon, but I, I see that you're smiling. So uh, this, is, uh, this is one of the facts I usually, you know, have you heard of that game, Two Truths and a Lie? You, sell, you tell three things about yourself and one of them is a lie. A lot of people have a hard time believing this about me, but I uh, start, started learning how to drive. My dad was really good at letting me understand the workings of the vehicle, the clutch and the gears. And I learned on a manual transmission 
Reformation, I was not very good at, uh, to, uh, at the German laws of right away and the signs, and it was pretty complicated. That's, I think that's why the driving age is uh, much older there, and there's no speed limits on the highway. So you really got to know your stuff to be able to drive in Germany. And anyways, I had my learner's permit. I turned 18. I went in to get my, my test. I went on a driving test uh, with the instructor, and I just didn't do enough to pass. I made a couple mistakes, and he's like, not, which isn't that uncommon in Germany to fail your first driver's license test. And so I had, still had my permit. There wasn't enough time to retest. Came to the United States, gave uh, the DMV my permit, asked them for another permit, and they said, we're just going to go ahead and give you a license. So I got a license. I still have a driver's license, and I've never passed a driver's test. <laughs> little known fact about me, a little incriminating, but here's, the, that, that's a side story. Let's get back to the main story. My, I had a, everybody in high school, at my high school, was required to take driver's ed, and I remember my driver's ed teacher saying, if you ever make a mistake and you ever get into an accident, never get out of your car and say you're sorry. Even if it was your fault, this driver's driving instructor uh, was, said, never admit you were wrong, never say you were sorry. And I was like, but, but what if you, it was your fault? And he was like, never say sorry, never admit you've done anything wrong. And he's like, let me tell you a story. My friend was driving a minivan and she was backing up at a grocery store parking lot. And at the same time, a, a brand new uh, Mercedes was backing up. This guy was backing up his brand new uh, fancy, nice car. And neither one of them are paying attention. They just backed into each other at the grocery store. Anybody ever do that? Back into somebody? <laughs> a couple of hands. You don't need to admit it. Thank you, Donash. Um, so it happens. You, you you make mistakes, you get into little fender benders like that. And she gets out of the minivan and looks at this brand new, really nice, fancy car. And she's, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. She goes on and on. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they're like, let's file a police report. The police come, they do a report. She goes on and on with the policeman. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Goes on their way. She gets a call from the insurance company and says, well, the Mercedes guy that, that you hit, it's claiming that not only is the, you know, there's damages and scratches to the bumper and tail, tailgate area and the, or the, the side panel, but also the transmission has been jarred and it is damaged. And the insurance company is saying, because you admitted fault to the policeman, we're not going to cover you with your American insurance in Germany. You are now in charge of paying for the new transmission and the scratches, you know, the icing on the cake, thousands and thousands of dollars. And so my, my teacher, my, my um, driving ed teacher was like, and that's why you never say sorry for anything. And it just, I was like, geez, like it just kind of stuck with me. Like, like, wow, that's, that's really horrible advice for an impressionable kid of, of like living life and spirituality. It, is, it may be good advice for getting out of insurance fees, but it is horrible advice for life. It is horrible advice to go around. I'm not gonna say I'm sorry. I'm not gonna admit fault. And I think a lot of us are nodding our heads because We've, we've had those thoughts. I know I have had those thoughts. I don't want to admit I've said anything wrong because then something, you know, I might not have to take responsibility. And, and how many times have you heard, or if you're honest and vulnerable, how many times have you said, well, well this broken relationship, I'm not going to say sorry because they need to say sorry first. Like they, they should say so. I'm not going to apologize till they apologize. Or, you know, what they did, they started it. So they should be the one to repent. And then maybe I'll repent later. But, but guys, this... I need to stop here and just say, guys, if this is in your heart, 
this is not right. We as Christians, if we're looking forward to the work of the Lord in our lives, in this church, in this city, we need to be quick to repent. Amen? Amen. Let's look back at Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter one, verse four. Nehemiah does something very interesting. He repents not just for himself. He's quick to repent, not just for himself, but also for people that like came before him, like a hundred years before he was even born, maybe even a little bit more than that. Some people made horrible mistakes, walked away from the Lord and it's what caused the exile. And Nehemiah repents on behalf of, of them. So Nehemiah chapter one, verse four says, when I heard these things, sat down, I wept and I prayed. Uh, Verse six, let's skip down to verse six. And it's Nehemiah praying, let your ear be attentive, open your eyes, listen to this prayer. Your servant is praying day and night. And then it says right here, I confess the sins we Israel. So he's confessing sins. He's repenting for sins on the basis of like his whole people group, Israel. I confess the sins we Israel, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. So I've already said like in our culture, in our rugged individualistic Colorado American culture, and you have to say it like that, America, we don't like to repent. We don't like to say sorry, right? You don't have to say amen, but it's not right. That's just, I mean, it's not the way it should be, but like we're a culture that it, we find it hard to repent and to confess and say we're sorry. And even more so, some of you in this room might be like, yeah, this is really weird. Why is Nehemiah saying sorry on, the, on behalf of people that you know, came before him? He's, he's repenting on behalf of his people group. This is odd. It is odd in our culture, but it means a lot. It means a lot to the Lord. This is not the only time we see this in scripture, people repenting on behalf of their people, people repenting on behalf of even someone else. It could mean a whole lot. Let me tell you a story, and this, this story will take us uh, to a pretty sad place. It's uh, December uh, of 2007. I was at New Life North. I was one of the young adult pastors there on staff and a Sunday morning. Some of you know what I'm about to say. There was an armed shooter that came into our church building. His name was Matthew Murray. He was 24 years old. So this happened quite a few years ago now. He came into our building armed with explosives and a semi-automatic weapon, hundreds of rounds, a big clip of, uh, of, of ammunition. And he wanted to come into our building and he did and, and kill as many Christians as he possibly could. He was angry, he was deranged, he had mental issues. Um, f- f- and so he came into our building and I was there the day. Uh, I heard gunshots down the hall and grabbed my wife's hand and we went out the student chapel, made ourselves uh, around the building. And, and there I saw David Works, the dad of the two girls that would lose their lives. And he was bleeding. He had been shot in the hip. There was uh, Rachel and Stephanie Works were there. One was in the minivan bleeding. One was on the, on the ground right next to David bleeding. And it's, it's, it's a horrible story. It's, it's a tragic story. It's a story I saw firsthand. And I still think about the PS, like the, the, the PS, 
post-traumatic stress that I've, like, even at here, even at New Life North, something loud happens at church on any given Sunday, and I'm immediately back heart racing. Like, it's, it's something that I'm working with and thinking about, and it's, it's in the past, but it's, it's still, it's something that's tragic and still with many of us, um, either school shootings or shootings in general. It's something in our culture that's just demonic and horrible, and something that came out of that was that uh, days or weeks later, Brady Boyd, the pastor uh, at the time of the only New Life North, I guess, I guess Chinese church was around at that time, uh, Brady Boyd of, of New Life Church had a meeting where the, the, the parents of the, the, the girls that had died, Rachel and Stephanie, um, David and Marie came to Brady's office, the parents of these girls, and they were met by the parents of Matthew Murray, the, the parents of this 24-year-old a young man who came into our church to kill people. And what happened there, because Matthew Murray, at the, on that day, he was killed. Uh, he was shot by a, one of the New Life Safety Security Guards, and then he ended up taking his own life with a gun. Um, I say all this, I mean, I realize it's very tragic to be putting, reminding us of this story, but something really um, beautiful came out of this moment. So there's this meeting in Brady Boyd's office with, uh, tissues and the parents of Matthew Murray, the parents of the Works sisters who died, and the, the parents of Matthew Murray on behalf of their dead son repented and, and confessed and, and said they were sorry that Matthew had killed their daughters. I think of the what, what repentance can do. You know, they were repenting on behalf of someone else and that led to life and it led to healing and it led to redemption. And I think of all my days at New Life Church and all the ministry that I've seen, all the miracles that I've seen while being a pastor for years and years and years, that day, that story of, of one family repenting on behalf of their son for the murder of those two girls, like that in my mind is the power of repentance. That in my mind is the power of the redemption of, of Christians. They're, both families were Christian families repenting for the sins of their son and then the works family saying, we forgive you. And there being hugs and restoration and life that came out of that horrible, traumatic situation. The title of this sermon was, still is, um, Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. I think so far, um, we, we, we can kind of look on and, and see the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah hears these things of Jerusalem and repents on behalf of his people and then goes and does this plan that God calls him to do. We could look at the story of a Brady boy being called, weeping, reading the news of the scandal of new life and weeping and being called to, to rebuild, but, but he would all say that he repented on behalf of our church. And, and Matthew Murray's parents, that story of parents repenting on behalf of their son who had done a horrible thing and killed these two girls. Like when we repent and the kingdom of God is near, this is what ushers in the kingdom in our own lives. And so here we are at the sermon looking in at these different stories. And now I want us to pivot and look within like how can we in our own lives look into our own hearts and see what the Lord is doing? See that amongst us in our own lives, 
the kingdom of God is at hand. To see in this church, the kingdom of God is at hand. To see in the city of Manitou, the, 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 the work of the Lord, the kingdom of God is at hand. What do we need to do? Well, I would say we need to look at our own lives, to, to repent, to not hold up these walls and say, I'm not gonna apologize. I'm not gonna, you know, some of us are in relationships that are broken and some of us may have said this week, I'm not gonna apologize to them. They need to apologize. Like these kind of things happens and we live in a society where repenting and confessing is not easy, but friends, Christ compels us. Christ tells us to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. As we look inward now, I invite us to, to stand. We're gonna come to the table. Brett's gonna lead us first in a prayer of confession. And then he's gonna lead us to a moment of receiving communion. If you're in this room and if you're new, uh, this is the Lord's table. It's a table open for anyone believing and repenting of their own sins in their life and wanting to be reminded that Christ has died for us, his body, his blood shed for us. So as you stand, I'm gonna invite the band to come up. I'm gonna pray a prayer and then Brett's gonna lead us into a corporate prayer of the confession of a repentance prayer and then we're gonna receive communion together. So Lord, as we prepare our elements, as we prepare in this moment, in this time to sing to you, to receive your, your body and your blood from these gifts of the bread and the cup, Lord, we take a moment and we, we pause here, Lord, to look inward and say, Lord, we repent of the things that we've done we repent of the things we've failed to do. We repent, Lord, on behalf of our family, on behalf of this nation, or whatever you're putting into our hearts right now, Lord, we repent. We ask for forgiveness for, for broken relation, relationships. We ask for forgiveness for sins we've committed against you, against one another, against our neighbor. Lord, we do this, Lord, because we know you are faithful to forgive. We know that you are faithful to make us whiter than snow, to cleanse us. So Lord, right now we look to you. We confess, we repent. And though we, we accept your forgiveness to us, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.